Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week is a conversation about the role of obesity and insulin in cancer with Dr. Rachel Perry. Dr. Perry is an assistant professor in medicine and endocrinology and cellular and molecular physiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Rachel, maybe we can start by talking a little bit about obesity. I mean, it seems to me that this is really, you know, they talk about it being like the other pandemic. It's really something that's really prevalent across the world. Is that right? That is absolutely true. So at at this point, um, we're coming up on close to 50% of Americans who are obese and um, large numbers really worldwide as well. And with that, obesity is a problem in and of itself. It, it increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, as we'll discuss today, and other conditions. But it also brings with it an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, um, which is projected if current trends would continue, type 2 diabetes as I said, can be caused by obesity and is expected to affect 100% of Americans or would affect 100% of Americans if current trends continued by the year 2050. And so that oh really tells gosh. us, isn't that amazing? So that, that tells us we need to do something to intervene here. Holy Dinah. Two statistics that you put out in a single sentence that just completely blew me away. The first is that almost half of all Americans are obese. And all of us are going to end up with type 2 diabetes in 30 short years. That's incredible. I'm sorry. I just have to correct myself. Overweight or obese, um, almost 50% at this point. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So what really is the definition of obesity? I mean, are we talking about like, you know, that last 5 or 10 pounds that everyone has to lose or are we talking about people who are seriously several pounds or several hundred pounds overweight? Well, somewhere in between the two. So um, technically, uh, obesity is defined as a body mass index over 30. And that really corresponds to being about 30 to 50 pounds, closer to 50 pounds over our ideal body weight. And so um, it, we're not talking about, you know, the last five or 10 pounds from high school that that may put us into the overweight category. But we don't need to be hundreds of pounds overweight to be in that obese category um, that can really increase our risk of a number of health conditions. And so one of those conditions is cancer. Can you give us a metric there of by how much does obesity really increase your risk? Because I know a lot of people worry about cancer. I mean, certainly they worry about diabetes and heart disease. I mean, all of those are some of the key killers of Americans these days. But how much does obesity really impact cancer? And does it affect all kinds of cancer or just a select few? Well, those are both great questions. And, and the answer to the first question, how much does obesity affect cancer risk, is difficult to answer because it really depends on the tumor type. 
And so I'm going to answer your second question first, and, and that is, is this all cancer types or, or just a few? Um, at this point, there are 13 tumor types that the Centers for Disease Control have associated with obesity, and, and that means with obesity increasing the risk and causing a worse prognosis of those tumor types. And those include breast cancer, ovarian, uterine, renal, pancreatic, thyroid, colorectal, as well as several others. Um, but there are a few tumor types where there's no risk of obesity. Um, and we really don't understand what causes some tumor types to be worse with obesity and other tumor types not to be worse. Within the tumor types that are associated with obesity, there are some where obesity brings with it a relatively lower risk. In, in breast cancer, I believe the increase is about 20 to 30% of an increased risk with obesity, still very significant, but smaller than others. Um, whereas with pancreatic cancer, um, the risk is a couple fold, ovarian cancer as well, a couple fold greater risk with obesity. So as I said, it, it really depends on the tumor type. But because these 13 cancer types that are associated with obesity are among the most prevalent cancer types out there, it really translates to a significant excess risk from an epidemiologic standpoint that comes with obesity. Yeah. And we really don't know why. You know, even 20 to 30% increased risk of breast cancer seems pretty significant to me. But why is that 20 to 30%? But in ovarian cancer, we're talking about more like 200%. I mean, do we know why that is? Um, why it is that obesity affects more cancers in some situations than in others? We really don't. And, and that is a tremendous open question that we need to figure out. Because if we could figure out why obesity worsens certain cancer risks worse than others, then perhaps we would have a better handle on why obesity increases cancer risk at all. And that would be the target. That would be where we can intervene in this process. Um, a lot of labs, mine included, um, as well as many, many others, are working on this question to try to uncover Number one, why are certain tumor types affected and not others? And number two, um, why are certain tumor types affected worse than others? Because there's really going to be a, a major, major epidemiologic role for uncovering that information. Well, so what about that? Do we know what exactly or how exactly obesity increases your risk of cancer? So how exactly does it really play? Well, we're, we're still working on that. And there have been a number of potential mediators that people have thrown out there. One uh, that my lab studies is insulin and related to that insulin-like growth factor one. The concentrations of these molecules increase with obesity. And, and we, we and others have shown that in vitro, those molecules can increase tumor cell division. Um, we can talk a little bit later about the mechanism by which that may occur if you'd like. Um, but there have been a number of other factors that people have proposed as well, including inflammatory cytokines. Obesity is a pro-inflammatory state, and so inflammatory cytokines are up in obese individuals. There's leptin. This is a, a protein that's secreted by the fat and um, has been shown in certain models to accelerate tumor growth. Um, there are other hormones that may be involved. Um, I men mentioned insulin, but also potentially glucagon, adiponectin, resistin. Um, and any and all of these have been shown in vitro, so in cell culture studies, to accelerate tumor growth. And there's been increasing work in mice. In humans, it's a little bit more difficult to tell the answer um, because, you know, a, a patient comes in with cancer, you can't do all these types of interventions that we're able to do in the lab um, to really be able to pick out 
certain causative factors. Um, but all of these hormones and cytokines that I just listed correlate with tumor appearance and progression um, as well. And, you know, a point I wanted to make related to the role of obesity, we talked about how obesity may increase the risk of certain types of cancers, but it also worsens the, the progression and increases the rate of recurrence of the cancer. So when we say that obesity may increase the risk of breast cancer by 20%, it also worsens the prognosis of, of someone who's already diagnosed with breast cancer, as well as increasing her risk of recurrence. So that 20% increased risk is really not just 20%, um, because the, the increased risk continues down the line. And, and we really need to figure out what the reason for that is so that we can intervene in a, a mechanistically driven manner. Right. And I think that, you know, the other problem now that you mention uh, is the fact that uh, obesity really increases the risk of recurrence, particularly in breast cancer and maybe in other cancers as well. Some of the therapies that we use actually make you gain weight. So many breast cancer survivors actually gain weight during therapy. And then on top of that, that weight gain or that obesity increases their risk of recurrence. So have people kind of looked at that? I mean, is the weight that you gain during therapy versus simply just being overweight to begin with, does that make a difference to your recurrence? If you were normal weight, for example, when you were diagnosed and then you gained weight with your treatment, does that increase your risk of recurrence? Be because that weight gain was related to your treatment versus if you were overweight to begin with? It, in fact, it does. So people have looked at this specifically, looked in change of weight during the course of treatment. And those who gain weight during treatment, actually specifically for breast cancer, as you mentioned, are in fact at a higher risk of recurrence of their cancer. And so that's something that absolutely needs to be kept in mind during therapy. Now that said, it's not as simple as it may appear because those who lose weight during treatment are also also have a poorer prognosis. This gets into the issue um, of cancer cachexia. So when patients are being treated for cancer, have cancer, um, and they lose a significant amount of weight, a very large amount of weight, so that they lose a lot of fat and start to lose muscle as well, those patients are also at higher risk for poorer outcomes. And so we can't simply tell people, just go and lose weight. And that's really why we need to understand mechanistically what this link is between obesity and cancer. So that instead of telling people, oh, just go and lose weight, we can give them a, a mechanistically driven intervention um, that may help mitigate that risk of obesity while not predisposing them to cancer cachexia. So let's unpack that a little bit more. What do you mean by a mechanistically driven intervention? Well, we want to understand what the molecule is or molecules are that are responsible for this link between obesity and cancer. For instance, if the link is, at least in part, insulin, one of my favorite hypotheses, um, there are ways that we can lower insulin while not forcing a patient to lose weight. There are different drugs that work in different ways um, that would all lower circulating insulin, and that would not require the patient to go on a restrictive diet or put themselves at risk for cancer cachexia syndrome. Similarly, um, if the link were a certain inflammatory cytokine, there are various um, antibodies that are being developed to block certain inflammatory cytokine action. And so we could potentially give folks an antibody to that particular cytokine 
that might lower their risk while, again, not requiring them to lose weight. So it, it would just allow us to more safely intervene in this link between obesity and cancer if we could understand exactly what, what mediates it. Except that they'd, they'd still be at increased risk of heart disease and diabetes if they were overweight, right? Absolutely. So certainly weight loss within a, a healthy range, so not becoming underweight, but well, weight loss within a healthy range is probably going to be the best way to mitigate this risk overall. Um, it may, though, be very difficult during cancer treatment. As you mentioned, um, cancer treatment tends to cause people to gain weight. And so during that short period of time, it may be better to focus on you know, what we can do from a cancer standpoint to, to mechanistically intervene in this link between obesity and cancer rather than fo focusing on weight loss. But long term, from a population standpoint, absolutely, we should all be encouraging our patients and ourselves to maintain a healthy weight. So, Rachel, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what your lab is doing in terms of insulin and its link to obesity. One of the statistics that you gave us at the top of the show, which was the link between obesity and diabetes, was just mind-blowing to me. So talk a little bit about that and how insulin plays into that as well as into this whole concept of obesity. Yeah, so my training was in a in straight metabolism. I studied diabetes and, and substrate metabolism um, during my graduate work and my postdoc. And um, we developed methods to be able to assess metabolism in different tissues and different settings. And so um, one of the hormones that we focus on in the metabolism world is insulin. Insulin is secreted by the endocrine pancreas when we eat a meal. When blood sugar levels go up, insulin is secreted. Insulin helps our cells to take up glucose or sugar so that the sugar is taken out of the bloodstream and into the tissues. And um, when we do that, the tissues or even tumors in certain cases um, can use that sugar as fuel for themselves while lowering blood glucose concentrations. So in diabetes, that process doesn't happen efficiently. Um, people tend to become insulin resistant, so their bodies don't respond as well as they need to to insulin. And so it either needs to be given um, by injection or um, certain interventions need to take place to allow the body to respond better to insulin. And the work that we've been doing um, as my lab has opened in the last several years has been specifically looking at this link between insulin, obesity, and cancer. So I think there's a lot more we need to learn about obesity, insulin, and cancer, and how all of that plays together. But first, we need to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about obesity, insulin, and cancer with my guest, Dr. Rachel Perry. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about genetic testing, which can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers. Interdisciplinary teams include geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together to provide risk assessment and steps to prevent the development of cancer. 
More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Rachel Perry. We're talking about the role of obesity and insulin in cancer. And right before the break, Rachel, you were starting to tell us a little bit about how insulin really works in terms of causing obesity and how that plays into the development of cancer. So can you take us back a couple of steps and talk about insulin and obesity? I know insulin is a hormone. It's made by the pancreas. and um, But how does that cause us to be obese? And if all of us make insulin, how come not all of us are obese? Well, those are both important questions. And honestly, we're still not certain. The, the metabolic community is still not certain to what extent insulin causes obesity versus obesity causing high insulin levels. We know that obesity causes high insulin levels because as individuals become more and more obese, they become more and more insulin resistant. And that's due to increased levels of lipid or fat in various tissues. When we become insulin resistant, that means we don't respond. Our bodies don't respond very well to insulin. And so our body has to secrete more insulin to counteract that effect. Now, the question of whether insulin causes obesity um, is very interesting. It's sort of a chicken and, and egg type of question. And there are a number of studies that do suggest um, that insulin may, may itself independently cause obesity. And that's at least in large part because insulin causes fat deposition. It causes um, those small molecules of um, carbohydrate and fat that are floating by in our bloodstream to actually be deposited in tissues, in subcutaneous fat. Uh, depots and um, form larger and larger pieces of fat. And so in that regard, it is likely that insulin causes obesity, at least to some extent. But as I said, it, it's more certain that obesity causes hyperinsulinemia or high insulin levels because of that insulin resistance phenomenon. As you said, we all need to have insulin. The body knows if it doesn't have enough functioning insulin because when we don't have enough insulin, our blood glucose levels get high. Without insulin action on various tissues, we're not able to take up enough glucose or sugar from our bloodstream into those tissues. And when that happens, the body senses the high blood sugar level and secretes more insulin to try to counteract the effects of, of insulin resistance. So let me get this straight. So obesity causes you to be insulin resistant. So your body needs to make more insulin. But that insulin takes sugar from your bloodstream and deposits it as fat, which then causes you to be more obese. So isn't this a vicious cycle? It absolutely is a vicious cycle. And, and we and others have shown that if you intervene in any step of this cycle, so if you intervene in the step of eating too many calories, if you intervene in secreting too much insulin, if you intervene in depositing um, that sugar in tissues as fat, if you intervene in any of these steps, you can intervene in the cycle um, of, of the development of obesity. But yes, absolutely, it's a vicious cycle. And this absolutely contributes to this pandemic of obesity that we have in our country and worldwide. Hmm. So we're going to get back to exactly how we can intervene. But let's talk a little bit about the cancer part. Uh, 
So we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about the fact that obesity really does drive, I think it was, what, 13 different types of cancer? But not all cancers uh, are affected by obesity, but certainly a large number of cancers are. So how does that happen? And what does insulin have to do with it anyways? Right. So as we were discussing earlier, I think in reality, there are a number of different factors that may mediate at least part of this link between obesity and cancer. But as you said, we focus on specifically how insulin may fuel tumor growth. So as I mentioned, individuals with obesity frequently have high circulating insulin levels because they tend to be insulin resistant. Um, and, and this is indeed a vicious cycle. We've found in a few studies, um, both in vitro, so in a dish, and in vivo, in mice, that insulin can drive tumor glucose uptake and metabolism. That actually was a little bit surprising initially because conventional wisdom has said that tumor glucose or sugar metabolism is constitutively high, so it would always be high and not regulated by any hormones. But the surprising finding that we have that others have also shown is that, in fact, tumor glucose or sugar metabolism is insulin dependent. And so in mice that are obese and insulin resistant, they have high circulating insulin levels, and this causes glucose uptake into their tumor cells. After the tumor cells take up glucose, it can be used in two different ways. It can be used for metabolism, so simply to provide the fuel that allows the cells to keep going. And it can also be used to make building blocks for cells. So a, a unique feature about tumor cells is that in order to be a tumor, these cells need to be growing and dividing all the time. They grow and divide very rapidly, and they need building blocks to be able to do that. And glucose is a key fuel to be able to provide those building blocks for these tumor cells. And so in that way, glucose and insulin, which drives glucose uptake, is a key pathogenic factor in tumors. So let me ask you this. You know, we know a lot of diabetics who are type 1 diabetics who take insulin. Does that mean that the insulin can actually be driving tumor growth in these people, putting them at increased risk since they're injecting themselves with insulin? You know, that's a, a key question, a very important question. And frankly, a personally relevant question. I am a person with type 1 diabetes, and so this is something that I am very curious about. Um, the epidemiologic evidence doesn't seem to support a strong role for exogenous insulin, that is injected insulin, in type 1 diabetic individuals in driving tumor growth. And there could be a few different reasons for that. It is a little bit surprising. Um, but what we currently believe is that you may need two hits, that is high glucose and high insulin levels. So type 1 diabetic individuals who take as much insulin as they need tend not to have chronically high glucose levels all the time. And so it may be that keeping blood sugar normal is also very important in these individuals who need to inject insulin um, exogenously to stay alive. But that's a question that really is an open question and, and one that we're very curious about. It's also entirely possible, and I think this is likely, that insulin may not be the only factor that mediates the effects of obesity on tumor growth. So it may be that you need high insulin levels to have an obesity effect to drive tumor growth, but that you also need other factors like inflammatory cytokines or leptin 
or um, uh, other hormones that may be up, adiponectin and others. And in these lean type 1 diabetic individuals, they may have high insulin levels, but not these other factors that may be required to mediate the effects. You know, and that makes me think of something else. Some people have these benign tumors in their pancreas that secrete insulin. So it's kind of a little insulin factory that they've got going on. Are those people at increased risk of developing cancer? Or is it still this, you know, you need the interplay of a number of factors, so they may not really be at increased risk? So I believe that these folks, and I could be wrong on this, this isn't particularly my field, but I believe that those folks are at higher risk of pancreatic, um, at, at least benign tumors um, of other types, um, and maybe at higher risk of pancreatic cancer. So that would suggest that insulin may be acting um, within the pancreas as a tumor promoting factor. Um but I, I don't believe they're at substantially higher risk in other sites. Now, this could be because it's my understanding that those folks aren't allowed to go continuously forever with high insulin um, levels secreted by a tumor from the pancreas. The, the tumor will be either removed or um, treated, and they may be treated with somatostatin or some other agent to prevent the um, constitutively high insulin secretion. Um, but I would expect that if someone were chronically having high insulin levels from continuous excess secretion of insulin, um, that they would in fact be at risk. And that is a study that we've done in mice. So if you take mice and put a subcutaneous insulin pellet into them so that they're chronically, they chronically have high insulin levels, they do develop tumors more quickly and do worse with the tumors than mice that aren't, um, that don't have too much circulating insulin all the time. And when we talked about the fact that some of the cancers are increased with obesity and insulin is one factor that may be playing a role, you know, sometimes people talk about this thing called insulin growth factor or IGF, which can be found in some cancers. Are those related? So we find that insulin plays more of a role in people who have tumors that have receptors, for example, that are more responsive to insulin. Or is this something that is um, more ubiquitous, at least in these 13 tumor types, regardless of whether or not the tumor secretes insulin or insulin-related growth factor? There does seem to be a relationship between IGF and insulin. So that comes in several different ways. Um, I Mostly that the IGF-1 and insulin receptors are very similar, and both molecules can activate the other. So insulin can activate the IGF-1 receptor, and IGF-1 can activate the insulin receptor. And so I would absolutely expect there to be interplay between insulin and IGF-1, particularly in those IGF-1-expressing tumors. This also brings up a good point that I want to highlight, and that is that the insulin receptor is not ubiquitously found in tumors. Um, the tumor types that are associated with obesity, on average, have higher insulin receptor expression, but that's not 100% across the board. But because of this crosstalk between IGF-1 and insulin, that may explain um, some, some of the discrepancies there, where a tumor may... Uh, may be at least weakly in obesity associated, but may not have the insulin receptor. And that may be because the IGF-1 receptor compensates for that. Unfortunately, tumors are evolved to survive very well. And so um, they, they've sort of developed mechanisms in their evolution to be able to survive. And one of that, I think, is the redundancy of insulin and IGF-1 action. Yeah, 
And you know, in our last few minutes, I really want to get back to something you said earlier, which was breaking the cycle of obesity can have an impact on reducing cancer risk. I want to make sure I've got that straight. So if you're overweight and you decide to lose weight by cutting calories or exercise or or whatever, that actually can reduce your cancer risk. Is that right? Absolutely. Epidemiologically, um, even losing weight within the last couple years reduces your cancer risk. And so, you know, it, it's best, of course, if we're normal weight, healthy weight throughout our lives, but it absolutely can have a huge impact to lower cancer risk, losing um, a, a little bit of weight um, at really at any time. And, you know, the other point I want to highlight is we don't have to be back to our high school body weight. Um, this is a case where losing 5 to 10% of body weight, if you're an o- overweight or obese individual, can actually almost fully normalize your insulin sensitivity. And so that, can, that would be predicted to almost fully um, normalize or reduce the excess risk of obesity. And so um, that is something that that loss of 5 to 10% is something that would be much more achievable than returning to a quote-unquote healthy weight for a lot of individuals. Dr. Rachel Perry is an assistant professor in medicine and endocrinology and cellular and molecular physiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.